Thank you guys so much. Please be seated. That is the first standing ovation I've ever gotten in my life. Thank you. You know, it's, uh, it's so funny uh, to be able to spend some time down here with Pastor Steve. I so love and appreciate this guy. I hope you love and appreciate your pastor. He's the absolute best. I hate standing next to him because, you know, he's a pastor on Sundays and he's like Thor during the week. He's always lifting weights and sleeping in a tanning bed or something, but it's, it's so good to be with you guys. <laughs> um, I used to get a little upset about political correctness until it affected my life, and now I, I kind of appreciate it. Um, let me explain. I used to be introduced as the uh, short, fat guy from Cincinnati. Now it is my friend who is vertically challenged and nutritionally enhanced. It just sounds so much better. People can embrace that a little more. Um, you know, this is my first time. I work with, uh, with Convoy of Hope. I've been in uh, 63 countries of the world. This is my first time in Alabama. So... Last night, Pastor Steve and I, he brought me back from the airport, and I had, uh, I had some chicken enchiladas at Rosie's. Whew, man, that's, I don't have the scriptural backing, but they're going to serve that at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I mean, that was, it was wonderful. So uh, it's so good to be with you guys today. Uh, I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, you know, you look fantastic. All right? And now I want you to turn to the other side and say, how about you taking me to lunch today? There you go. You're not looking. <laughs> you know, uh, I, read a, I read a funny story that I want to open up with this morning uh, about these two guys. They were uh, shipwrecked on an island in the South Pacific. And uh, the one guy was just uh, wringing his hands and walking up and down the beach and just really scared and not sure what's going to happen. The other guy uh, just found a little mat and laid out and just started getting a suntan. And he said, what's your problem, man? He said, uh, we could die. You're out here trying to get a suntan. He said, no, nah, let me explain something. He said, I, I make $100,000 a week, and I tithe at my church, and uh, my pastor's going to find us. <laughs> you know, we, <laughs> we're, we're talking about this 90-day challenge. This, I believe over the last several years of faith, this is a theme that, that the church has done. We're talking about resources and tithing and giving and, and this concept of sharing and, and living a life of radical generosity. And this morning, I'd like to take some scripture from the Old Testament, some scripture from the New Testament, and show how this idea of generosity, this idea of sharing, this idea of living a life of radical generosity is, is really themed out through all of Scripture. If you look at probably the most popular verse that even people who don't go to church know, it is, for God so loved the world that he what? That he gave. That he gave. I'd like to start with a vow that uh, Jacob made back in Genesis chapter 28 and verse 20. If you'd like to follow along on the screen or, or take some notes, you're welcome to do that. Then Jacob made a vow. If God 
will be with me and watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house. Then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Now let me, let me reveal something just totally crazy. If you slept in a bed last night and you had some type of shelter over you, and when you got up this morning, you went to a refrigerator that had some food in it, and you got to this campus in some type of vehicle, did you know that that puts you in the top 1% wealth of the world? That puts you in the top 1% wealth of the world. God has blessed us to be a blessing. Let me try it in this section. They may have had a couple more cups of coffee. God has blessed you to be a blessing. If he can get it through you, he will give it to you. That's how it works. Let me give you the opening thought. If you're taking notes or you want to write some things down, here it is. Tithing is not a money issue. Tithing is a trust issue. I give God 10% because I trust him 100%. I've learned from experience that God can do more with 90% than I can do with 100%. And out of all of Scripture, the Lord allows us to join in on this experiment. This is the only place in Scripture where he declares, test me. Can you imagine that? The one who hurled billions of stars into the galaxies literally says, test me. Test me. We find this in Malachi chapter 3. In verse 10, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. See if I do not open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. You see, God wants to bless you beyond your ability. That's the heart of the Father. For God so loved the world that he gave. But there's a condition. It's bringing the tithe into the storehouse. There's a condition to it. The tithe is the Lord's. Would you say that with me? The tithe is the Lord's. Now let's think about this for a moment. If the tithe is the Lord's, and that's what he requires of us, then actually the correct terminology is we return the tithe because that's already his. We return the tithe. That is the ground level. Tithing is not the ceiling. Tithing is the ground level. It's the entry level. Because we return the tithe, and then we give with hearts of radical generosity over and above that. We are blessed to be a blessing. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 and 23, I'm reading from the Living Bible. 
You must tithe all of your crops every year. Bring this tithe to eat before the Lord your God at the place he shall choose as his sanctuary. This applies to the tithes of your grain, new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn of your flocks and herds. The purpose of tithing is to teach you what? To always put God first in our lives. The purpose of tithing. Now, this is so ingrained in our family. I have three, uh, three children. I have twins that are uh, almost 17 and, and a 14-year-old. Our kids have been tithing since they've been in kindergarten. If they get any, if they get a dollar, they give a dime. They get, I mean, they've just been doing it. My 14-year-old son came to me at Christmas, and he asked me a question that no one has ever asked me in 26 years of ministry. So here's what he said to me. Dad, how do I tithe on a gift card? I was like, what? He goes, somebody gave me a gift card for Christmas to the finish locker. I'm trying to, or finish line. I'm trying to figure out how do I tithe on that. Now, I don't have all the answers for that. But the idea is my son understood this concept that everything we have is because of God. And because we want to honor him, we want to return what's already his. That's wild, isn't it? 14-year-old. He's not always that smart, but he was special that day. <laughs> now, let me give you a warning, a trap that I don't want you to fall into. Because whenever someone speaks on giving or tithing or sharing or radical generosity, everybody goes like this. It's like trying to hug my 17-year-old son. You try to give him a hug, he's like this. <laughs> Everything we have is a gift from God. He has allowed us the honor and privilege to be stewards of what he has already given us. It's his. How many of you ever heard the phrase, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills? Anybody? Guess what? He owns the hills underneath the cattle too. It's all his. It's all his. And when we understand that it's all his and he's just allowing us to be managers and stewards of it, then we start living like this instead of like this. Because when you live like this, he can give more or he can take more away. If you live like this, whatever you've got, that's it, and there's no help from the outside. Now, here's things I've heard over the last 26 years in ministry. That's the warning I want to give you. Don't fall into the wind then. Here's how this story goes. When I make more money, when I'm financially independent, when I get that bonus, when I get married, when I get out of debt, I'll tithe. You ready for this? Lean in a little bit on this one. No, you won't. <laughs> if you don't do it now, you won't do it then. And he, 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 here's the thought behind this. There's a simple law of physics. Any engineers in the room? Be proud. Engineers, we're sitting in nice seats because of you. Any engineers in the room? There's a law of physics. Teachers, any teachers in the room? Oh, good. Here's how the law of physics goes. The greater the mass, the greater the hold that mass exerts. And I think that applies to wealth. If you aren't giving when you have a little money, it will be tougher to give when you have a lot of money because the greater the mass of money, the greater hold it exerts on you. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 2, listen to this. Out of the most severe trial, 
their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing. Say that, the privilege of sharing. Let's try that again. The privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Generosity has nothing to do with how much money you have. Generosity is a mindset. Investors see giving as an opportunity, not an obligation. And in this scripture, it says, they urgently pleaded for the privilege, the privilege of giving. Now, I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but there are over 2,300 verses in scripture on money and possessions, 2,300. To give you some perspective, there are only about 500 on faith and about 500 on prayer. I want you to let that sink in for a moment. There are 2,300 verses on possessions, money, stewardship, and there are about 500 on prayer, 500 on faith. Yet, very few people really take the time to hear what God has to say about this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 2, it says, On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Now, I want you to look at this verse, verse because it's fascinating. In this one verse, there's a big idea here that comes out. There are four things. There are four points that come out of this one verse that I want you to look at with me on the screen. This verse brings out four points. We should give regularly, individually, methodically, and proportionately. Look at that verse again. On the first day of every week, regularly, each one of you, how many in here is in each one? (laughs) Each one of you should set aside methodically a sum of money in keeping with his income proportionately. Now, Matthew chapter 6, I want to give you plenty of scripture this morning because I don't want you to go away saying, well, Brad said or Brad, no, no, no. God's word said. Scripture says. How many believe that scripture is the ultimate truth? It's absolute authority. If we don't preach God's word, we're all wasting our time. His truth is his word. Matthew chapter 6 says this, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroy them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your your treasure is, there the desire of your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Scripture says you cannot serve both God and money. The problem is God's definition of success and the world's definition of success are diametrically opposed, and that's where the problem sets. Let me explain. The world's definition of success is about how much I get, how much I can accumulate, and how many people are under me in the flow chart. 
Now let's flip this whole thing over. God's definition of success is about how much I give away and how many people I serve. That's crazy. If, if we're going to try to live right side up in an upside down world, we have to understand that the world's definition of success and God's definition of success are diametrically opposed. They're exact opposites. The world says accumulate everything you can get and make sure you get high enough on a ladder that a lot of people are under you. And God says, no, 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 no. No, my definition of success is about how much I give away and how many people I can serve. When you understand that one concept, everything shifts. There's a paradigm shift in your mindset because you start becoming other-centered instead of self-centered. You start living a life of radical generosity. You say, well, what does that mean? It means this, it's a process of moving from greedy to generous, and it's a process of, of moving from stingy to sharing. That's the process. It's a process of moving from greedy to generous and from stingy to sharing. How many of you have ever had a toddler in your home? Let me see your hands. Have you ever had them home when toys were out on the floor? Let me see your hands. Here's how a toddler sees the world. My toy is my toy, and your toy is my toy too. And if you've been thinking about going and play with another toy, that's going to be their toy too. It's my, my, mine, mine. So this paradigm shift, the way we see the world, the way we follow Christ, the way we live right side up in an upside down world is understanding that this process moves from greedy to generous and from stingy to sharing. Let me share with you my favorite story in the Bible on sharing. It's found in John chapter 6. Here's how it goes. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in his mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, hey, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far would that go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. This is the first biblical account of the Golden Corral in Sea of Galilee. Each one of them could have as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had gathered enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. What does it say next? Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them, filled the 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves and for those, left, uh, those who had eaten. This story is crazy. Crazy. 
I don't know how old this kid was, but I'm guessing he was probably 12, 13 years old. His mother had fixed him a lunch, five barley loaves, two small fish. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the miraculous story of his life. Can you imagine if you fast forward the clock 50, 60 years later, and his grandkids, they sit on his lap and they say, Grandpa, Grandpa, tell us the lunch story again. You gave your lunch, you shared your lunch with Jesus, and he fed all these people. Well, let's, let's look at that for a moment. I saw in the crowd there were a few teachers. Teachers, raise your hands. Let me see. Okay, good. Out of the teachers that are in the room, are any of you specifically math teachers? Anybody? It's okay. We're not going to need a math teacher because I think both of you are going to, or most of you are going to be able to handle this. Most. This is an above-average crowd, right, Pastor Steve? <laughs> this is not a trick question. Anybody? Seven. This man in the front row believes that the answer to this question is that number right there. But how many of you know when God's in the equation, all bets are off? When God's in the equation, all bets are off. When God's in the equation, how many of you like that? Five plus two equals 5,000. Now, how many, of you think, how many of you think that's the right answer? Let me see your hands. All right? You who are raising your hands, you have offended me. You are sexist. You have not included the women or the children. They only counted for the men here. How many of you think this is a good number when God's in the equation? You like that number? You're not big fans of children because we're only basing this on one child per couple. I'm guessing this number was probably somewhere in this range. Because ladies and gentlemen, when God's in the equation, all bets are off. How many of you think that's the right answer? You didn't read the end of the scripture. Five plus two equals 20,000, remainder 12. There were 12 baskets left over. When God's in the equation, there's more than enough for everybody. We get so stuck into thinking in our world that this is what it means when God says, let me into your finances, let me into your life, and what you think this is is actually this down here. But how does this happen? Well, if you're following in your notes, number one, a miracle always starts with somebody. A miracle starts with somebody. And I believe that this day will be a watershed moment for the faith church here in Alabama. Miraculous. Because a miracle always starts with somebody. Think about Think about it if, if this kid said, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, no. These are my barley loaves and my fish. There's not a chance I'm sharing my lunch with anybody. 
He's like, I'm going around the corner here. I'm hiding behind this juniper tree. I'm going to knock this lunch down. <laughs> Nobody's getting any of it. These are my fish tacos. <laughs> Nobody's getting in on this. Because it's natural to say, no, that's mine. It's me, my, mine. But a miracle always starts with somebody. Are you willing to share the resources God's given you? Number two, miracles happen in the atmosphere of obedience. The Lord's going to prompt you. The Holy Spirit's going to tap on your heart and say, you need to trust me with your resources. Miracles happen in the atmosphere of obedience. And the devil's going to try to tell you today, well, what you have, that's not going to make any difference. But you know what? The devil's a liar. You may even be thinking, I don't really have that much. It wouldn't make a difference for anybody. When everybody does a little, a whole lot gets done. A miracle happens in the atmosphere of obedience. Number three, when we do what we can, God does what we can't. Don't worry about it. if you don't think it's enough or it's not that big of a deal or it's not going to make a difference. When you do what you can, God does what you can't. When you do your five loaves and your two fish, God does his 20,000 remainder 12. A miracle starts with somebody. Miracles happen in the atmosphere of obedience. When you do what you can, God does what you can't. Number four. It's about listening to the prompting and acting in obedience. It's about listening to the prompting and acting in obedience. How many of you have ever had God whisper something to you and you were like, there is no way I'm doing that? Anybody? I'm away from my home church today, so this is a wonderful day for me to admit how big of a jerk I am. <laughs> I was um, at work one day, and this guy called me from the church, one of our ushers. He said, Pastor, um, a friend of mine that I work with, his son is in the hospital. He's on life support. There's no brain waves. They're getting ready to turn the machine off, and he wonders if you would come over to the hospital and pray last rites over him. I said, well, first of all, I'm not Catholic. I don't even know what last rites are. I started making all these excuses why I didn't need to do that. This guy doesn't go to our church. He's not a part of our family. Some of you are going, man, this guy is a jerk. And I felt the Holy Spirit just say, go pray for him. Just that simple. Wasn't anything crazy. So I went over there with a bad attitude and my heart wasn't in it. How many of you know that God can do something miraculous when you're obedient, even if you have a bad attitude? <laughs> so I show up at the hospital. Now, how many of you have ever done that? You're going to think I'm a total nut job when you hear this. How many of you have ever been praying out loud, and while you were doing that, you were also having a conversation with God? You know what I'm talking about? So here I am praying. God, I just pray you would comfort this father. This is going to be a difficult day for him. 
I had no faith for the kid. His brain waves were dead. He's on a machine. And while I'm praying a prayer of comfort for the father that I've never met and never seen, the Holy Spirit says, put your hand on the kid's head. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I obeyed you and came over here. Let me get back to work. I put my hand on this kid's head. It's the hottest forehead I've ever felt. It felt like it was on fire. And I'm continuing to pray, God, as this father walks through the darkest day of his life, just come comfort him. And while I'm praying for this father, this kid sits straight up in bed. Scared me to death. I almost had a heart attack and died. The father goes, what'd you do? I said, I don't know. The nurse came running in. What'd you do? I looked down to see if I was standing on his oxygen or... I was like, I don't know. Let me tell you something, folks. Even if your attitude isn't right and your heart isn't in it, when you're obedient to what God asks you to do, miracles happen. It's about listening to the prompting and acting in obedience. Think about this kid. He gave what he had in his hand, and he celebrated the miracle the rest of his life. I'm going to close with this story this morning. My wife and I used to be pastors in Baltimore, and we lived about 26 miles from our church, and it was a long drive. If you've ever lived in the Baltimore, D.C. area, it takes an hour and a half to get anywhere. So we used to do our devotions in the car, and she'd read something, and then we'd turn on the Christian radio station. We'd worship together and pray for each other. And So as I was praying and driving, when I pray and drive, I keep my eyes open. While I was praying and driving, I felt like the Lord said, hey, when you get to work today, give Dave, one of our pastors on our staff, he had five boys, give him $50 and tell him maybe he can take his boys out for pizza tonight. And I thought, okay. So I told Angie, I told my wife, hey, I felt like the Lord just dropped this in my heart. What do you think about this? And my wife says, I think you should tell him to take the boys to Chuck E. Cheese. And I said, Angie, (laughs) as the spiritual leader of this home, (laughs) God prompts us about giving and generosity, but God doesn't talk to us about Chuck E. Cheese. I was just trying to help her theologically. She's like, whatever. I feel that's what the Lord put on my heart. So we get to work. She calls me at lunch. She says, have you given Dave the money yet? And I was like, no, not yet. She's like, you better do what the Lord told you to do. And I was like, take it easy. (laughs) She calls me at 5 o'clock. Have you given money to Dave yet? And I stood up from my desk because I didn't want to get yelled at again. I said, I'm on my way. I went down to Dave's office, and, uh, and I knocked on the door. He said, come in. I said, hey, Dave, um, this is crazy, man. I was praying this morning, and, uh, and I felt like the Lord asked me to give you and Donna $50. And then being the, the mighty man of faith I am, I threw Angie under the bus I mean, I just chunked her under the bus. 
And I said, and Angie thought, maybe you could take the boys to Chuck E. Cheese. And uh, he stood up from his desk, and I thought he was offended. And he walked around, and he, he leaned back on his desk, kind of sat on the top of his desk. And he put his head down, and his glasses slid forward to the front of his nose. And he didn't say a word. And his face got red, and then tears started coming down the side of his face. And I said, bro, I didn't mean to offend you. I'm sorry. I was just... I was just joking around. He said, no, 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 you have no idea what has just happened. So what are you talking about? He said, this morning when I left the house, he said, uh, I know you don't know, but today is Joey's birthday. My oldest boy, he turns nine today. And as I was getting up from the kitchen table and walking to the garage, the very last thing he said to me, Dad, is there any way we could go to Chuck E. Cheese for my birthday? And I'm telling you that if God knows how to meet the need of a nine-year-old little boy who desires to have his birthday at Chuck E. Cheese, to prompt a couple who doesn't even have children and is not connected in their family at all, Ladies and gentlemen, when God's in the equation, all bets are off. You may be sitting here thinking, "Why do I, I, I don't know about this tithing thing. I don't know. Let me help you. The tithe is the Lord's. That's ground zero. We're returning the tithe. Then we want to move from greedy to generous. We want to move from stingy to sharing because everything we have comes from God. It's all his. You say, well, you know, I'm pretty smart. I have a good job. Who gave you your brain? God did. Everything you have is because of him, period. And I can promise you, Miracle starts with somebody. Miracles happen in the atmosphere of obedience. When we do what we can, God does what we can't. It's about listening to the promptings and acting in obedience. This little boy gave what he had, and he celebrated the miracle the rest of his life. You have an opportunity. You may have gotten here this morning and you saw the thing and you're like, oh man, I can't believe somebody's going to be talking about giving. You were mad at me before you even met me. <laughs> Who's that short, fat guy yelling at me? But I'm telling you the truth. If you will embrace this principle from Scripture, we may not see each other again, but when you see me in heaven, you'll come running across to say thank you. Thank you. Corey Ten Boone, it's a fabulous quote, amazing quote. She said, I have held many things in my hands and have lost them all. But whatever I placed in God's hands, that I still possess. It's all his. It's all his. 
you know, you've got an incredible opportunity this morning. Would you please take this card out? I believe everybody in the room has one of these cards. They may be in the back of the seat in front of you. The tithe is the Lord's. We return the tithe. It's already his. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me. See if I won't kick open the floodgates of heaven and pour out blessings that you cannot conceive. This has been broken down on this card, and you can see if you make 10000 a year, 20000 they're all the way up to 250000 Just shows 10% of that. Maybe you want to take that 10%, and then you want to divide that by 52. You want to figure out what your weekly giving is. Regularly, individually, methodically, proportionately. Scripture, just break that down and say, Lord, I want to be obedient. I understand that everything I have is because of you. You own it all. You're allowing me to be a manager of the resources you have given me. And I want to honor you. I want to give back. I want to return what rightfully belongs to you. Today, Lord, I surrender this area of my life. I understand that tithing isn't about money. It's about trusting. And God, I want to trust you 100% today. Would you take a moment and just bow your heads with me? Father, I pray right now for each person in this room. This is a challenging word and it's difficult at times, but Lord, we know that you are faithful. And Lord, as you are moving in this room this morning, you're tapping on people's hearts. Lord, speak to them. Encourage them to step out in faith, to trust you 100%, to know God, that you are faithful and that you are true. Lord, we want to be obedient to you. We know that miracles happen in the atmosphere of obedience. And as we trust you with everything we have today, we want to celebrate this miracle for the rest of our lives. Now, would you just take a moment right now and say, Lord, speak to me. Talk to me today. Prompt me. Tap on my heart. Father, give us the wisdom to know what's right and the courage to do it. In the powerful, mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And everyone said,